Radio. Radio. Nova. Hi, I'm Colm Hayes. A couple of weeks ago, I got an opportunity to interview Jack Knife Lee, probably the most sought-after record producer in the entire world. This guy's worked with people as diverse as Neil Diamond, R.E.M., Snow Patrol, U2, obviously on the new album Songs of Experience, Taylor Swift, and even One Direction. Anyway, the interview we did, we clipped it down and played it on a radio show last week, and it was only about two pieces, five minutes long. But the actual interview, when I spoke to him, was close to 30 minutes. Really interesting guy, and he really doesn't do many interviews. So I thought to myself, I've got to put this out as a podcast. People would be interested in hearing this guy. He's a Dublin lad uh, from Walkinstown. So here it is, the full interview with Jack Knife Lee, live from his, uh, his studio, which is located in a canyon, Topanga Canyon, just north of Santa Monica. The world's most sought-after producer. Here he is. So it's lunchtime over there now, yeah? It is one o'clock. One o'clock. o'clock in the afternoon. In Topanga Canyon. Topanga Canyon. I'm just going to open up the curtains because I'm in a dark room. Okay. Now the sun is out. It's nice. Topanga Canyon, which is uh, in Los Angeles. Yeah, that sounds pretty cool. I was just looking at it. You're sort of north or up in the mountains past Santa Monica, up that end. Yes, between Santa Monica and Malibu. It's, um, it is a kind of a strange place that uh, it's very difficult to access. Um, so a lot of people, I've worked with some artists, they're too frightened to drive up because it's up uh, okay. uh, in the middle of the mountains with, uh, accessible through these weird cliff roads. It became popular in the 1920s during Prohibition because the cops wouldn't come up. Oh, really? Um, so people would have uh, drinking parties. And then in the 50s and 60s, a lot of the proto-hippies came up uh, during the blacklist yeah. and then had these kind of bohemian um, communes. Uh, wow. Woody Guthrie lived here, Bob Dylan. And uh, the whole free love nakedness uh, rev- revolution yeah. in the 60s started in Topanga Canyon and then Charles Manson did his first killings in yeah. uh, Topanga Canyon. So you get all this amazing hippie bohemian yeah. love vibes and then you get weirdness. But the <laughs> thing I love about Topanga Canyon is um, when I'm driving down to the past the beach yeah. you, you see... This is like the furthest west you can go on the continent. Right. And you see, you know, there's hitchhikers here. You don't get hitchhikers in the rest yeah. of uh, L.A. And, uh, you know, you see young couples who have pretty much put their belongings into backpacks, yeah. have come west as a huh. fantasy dream and um, have come here looking for us. So it's it's a very sweet and vibey place. It's very exciting to to live here. Yeah, I'm just thinking it's it's because I'm a north sider, you're a north sider. It's a long way from, from the north side. What part of the north side of Dublin well, are you actually from? actually from uh, Green Hills, Walkinstown, so south oh, right. west. Okay, southwestish. Yeah, so Walkinstown's <laughs> very far from there. Yeah, absolutely. And again, I was looking I was looking at some stuff just for, for people, I and mean, the people in the 90s and 80s, not in their 90s and 80s, but from, who remember the music of the 90s and 80s, that'll remember you uh, from Compulsion and also um, uh, The Amazing Colossal Men. And I was actually just looking at some stuff on the internet today, and there's still the fanning sessions uh, with yeah. The Colossal Men. They're still, they're still on. You can still listen to them online. Do you ever go back to listen to the old stuff? You know, I, I've been doing music a yeah. long time. And it was just, it, 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 when you look back at Compulsion, it wasn't you, was it, that had the orange hair? Yes, that oh. was me. The orange hair started because I like orange hair. But I also was a big fan of uh, Devo. You could tell that yeah. they were all in the same band because they all dressed the same. I eventually convinced, convinced everybody else to also have orange hair. So we went around looking like 
weird freaks. But it is, uh, <laughs> from the orange hair to working with people like as, as diverse. I mean, when I look at the list, diverse from Neil Diamond recently, Taylor Swift, REM, you uh, two obviously, or we're talking about, and uh, I know a huge association with Snow Patrol as well. It's it's some leap. Was the moment this Missy Elliott tape get your nine pound cock on, which is a great name. Thank you. Was that was that sort of a moment for you when you when, when you produced that? Well, yes, it was the day after my daughter was born. Ah. And I usually spend ages working on things. And then um, I was kind of thought, I'll just go do something. And I was too lazy to plug anything in, so I just mixed two records together. Yeah. It, it was so good. And I knew it was good that it frightened me so much that I deleted all the files because I thought I'd never... I don't want to ever know how uh, this happened. How did so, it take off then from there? I just went straight. I thought this is amazing. And I went straight into XFM in yeah. London and I asked, to, asked them to play it. They, they did. And yeah. uh, it kind of took off. So then I ended up doing quite a lot of those things for you know, Eminem and Buster Rhymes. Yeah. And, um, but it was a total accident. I was looking at a picture, you did a billboard interview and they went up and took a few pictures of the studio and it's it's the way I feel a studio should look. There's there's nothing, it, it's not pristine, It's everything isn't packed away, there's just stuff everywhere. Is that a, is that a reflection of you and your, on your mind? Because it looks the way, this is the way a studio should look. Yes, I, I agree. I think I'm, I'm not a big fan of recording studios. The sense that those pictures were taken, it's even filled up more. It looks, I'm just standing in it now. It's ridiculous. Right. <laughs> um, I think... So had you cleaned I mean, it up for those shots for, in Billboard? No. <laughs> no, it's actually it's worse now. But I think when... Yeah. when um, um, I, I would like for people to feel inspired, a little confused mm. when they walk into the room and overwhelmed by possibility. It's a bit daunting. Mm. But I, I had some up the other day and they just... They were giddy. Yeah, and that's yeah. the feeling I think. No, you should have, but it's the optimal. Is that a, is that a, is the studio and the way it is and the stuff everywhere? Is that sort of a reflection of your mind? Um, probably, probably. I I do jump around quite a bit. You said mm. that the my work was was diverse, but yeah, yeah. You know, I'm um, I listen to a lot of different kinds of music. I get bored very uh, quickly with. <laughs> With uh, something, it looks I, like um, it looks like that. It looks like okay. I've had this for thirty seconds. Now I'll move on to something else. What is a producer? I mean, I, I often think a producer is a, you know, as a friend, as an antagonist, as a devil's advocate, and as a psychotherapist, all wrapped into one. Um, all producers seem to to do something different. Um, mm. um, like the Rick Rubin approach to production, he's made some great records, but he doesn't actively work on the records it seems yeah. he just makes people better by being in the space which i'd love to be able to do right. but it's not my skill set um so people try and impress him and by trying to impress him you get better right and um, it sounds like a great job to me i'm i'm more blue collar um i like to you know i I'm, i i like the craft of making records yeah. would you say do, do you have a style no, I don't think so. I'm a, I'm a little contrary. If I'm working with a new band, my in, my immediate response is for them to try and not lose their audience, mm. but have their fans' voices disappear. You can kind of hear it in Kanye yeah. West records where he's unafraid of um, losing his audience every record. I think if you can approach that and and you know take control over your own. Um, 
life. So I'm um, wondering as well, as a producer, do you have to have no fear? I mean, regardless of how big the artist is, obviously I'm talking there about Neil Diamond that you produced and R.E.M., uh, some amazing stuff, and, and you too. Do you have to have no fear? In other words, that you've got to say, you've got to be so blatantly honest if it's not working or if it doesn't sound good. Uh, it's, uh, well, no fear is a mental, uh, mental problem. Mm. Um, probably Kenya West is fearless. For most of the rest, rest of us, we are... I am terrified, uh, okay. um, but it doesn't stop me from doing it. Yeah. Um, like working with Neil Diamond was was terrifying because he can be, he's a formidable chap. He's not, you know, he was on stage, he's very nice, but yeah. he's very driven and he's made a lot of records and, uh, you know, he prefaces conversations with when I was with Elvis and doing this, you know, yeah. he's a daunting character and he doesn't suffer fools and he can be very vocal and sweary when he doesn't like something. And it was all recorded live. We did live with an orchestra. So it was a high, highly pressurized uh, environment, and I was terrified. Yeah. But, and, and then when we move on to somebody like you too, I mean, you, you first, was the first production was How to Dismantle an Atomic Bomb back in 2004? Yeah, I was a baby producer yeah. on that, so I wasn't actually asked to come in and produce on that record. Right. I was the, I was the um, I think they were interested in my remixes, so yeah. they wanted to know what what would happen if I remixed their stuff as they were recording. It ended up turning into a production job, but that wasn't the original. Um, But then we fast forward to Songs of Experience, because I know a lot of this album was recorded while the guys were literally on the road and it took so long. So were they sending you stuff or or were they in all the time? Both. I think I was working on the record for two years. There wasn't breakthroughs and the bulk of recordings weren't done when they were touring. They were between things. So we would either get together for three weeks and do work either here in Topanga or New York or, you know, uh, Dublin. Mm. Um, and the work is kind of intense. When it's not, it, it's fragmented, but it's, but it's very focused. So, yeah. you know, you work in 18, 20 hours a day. Bono gets up at 5 in the morning, wants to hear mixes from the night before. Edge doesn't go to bed till 3. So it means that I'm working yeah. all that. You know, so I can only do like three weeks at, 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 at a time before I. Um, That's a huge uh, intensity because, as you say, one of them could be off in bed, but one of them is up early, and you don't. And they expect you. You you have to be there. Would you ever consider well, yourself sometimes like a, a referee? Uh, sometimes, but I'm not. I'm, I don't really like tension. You kind of want to have an, create an environment that there is that much antagonism in, in a room. Um, people are passionate for sure. Yeah. But the thing about you two unlike, say, a lot of the younger artists, is they've recognized that ego is the enemy of uh, recording. Mm. You know, you've got to just, the best idea wins. How, how long is a producer, how long does it take for you then to listen to an album that you've produced? Yeah, there's a few months after I have, once the files have gone and it's been mastered and there's no changes can be made, mm. um, I can, I, um, I have this weird problem that I... Uh, forget everything immediately. Right. Um, <laughs> I'd get so that checked it's very out. It's useful because it means if I've written a song, the yeah. next day I just can't remember I have to play it. <laughs> so um, when I'm in the process, I have to be able to return to, like if we're doing a guitar part for Edge, I have to know how we got it. Yeah. So I have to either take notes or just really uh, make sure I remember how we got this to this point. But once it's, I'm free of it, the record's done, I can lose it all. And right. then... I listen to the record and go, that, yeah, that's a good record. Uh, sometimes you can think a record's better than it actually is when you're working on it, yeah. and sometimes you think it's worse. Um, so it's nice to get a bit of 
distance. So, so you can listen to it and go, yeah, that's a good record. I like that. So have you have you sat down and listened to it? I'm, I'm close to uh, enjoying it now. Mm. But as, uh, as, as a fairly accomplished, i got to say, um, songwriter, I mean, you're all over the new Killers album. Do you feel the urge to go, hang on, guys, do you not think this word and this line would suit this a little bit better? Oh, yeah, of course. That's, that's, that's my job. Okay. Say that. And they can either go, yes, I agree or not. And you would, again, my goal wouldn't be to replace their thing. It's either just to say, beat this or, yeah. you know, um, do you think this is the best thing that we can be doing? Yeah, you got to say it. If you don't say it, I mean, that's the conversation that you really want in the studio. And then so somebody they either the, has to go, yeah. no, I actually like my thing. It's their record, ultimately. Yeah. They can do what they want. There's a lovely quote from Michael Stipe, uh, REM, who says about you that Elite possesses more curiosity than any man I've ever met. His interest in everything that has ever been and ever will be is unfathomable. If there's something in the world that completely stumps me profoundly uh, so that I can't type, I write to Gareth. I know that he will understand. I haven't heard that. That's nice of him to say. That's very, very nice, eloquent. isn't it? So does, does he write asking you like little questions yes. or, or little musings? Yeah, I mean, you know, um, we see each other regularly. Mm. Um, he's got a photographer's mind, like you're walking down the street with him and you're chatting away and you turn around and he's not standing next to you. He's found some weird tree root that he's obsessed with. So yeah. he's the same on the internet. So lots of times he'd be, right. you know, we would be recording and uh, I think there was about two weeks where I went to record a vocal on a song and we just sat in a room. He would be looking at brutalist architecture or something like that. And, um, <laughs> Uh, is Tard Pony still about this? Was um, sort of country? Was a country band that yourself, Peter Brook, Gary Lightbody were involved? Is, is that work in progress? The Scott, who, who uh, one of the guys from Tard Pony, plays the REM. He just had a stroke uh, oh. last week, okay. so he's recovering. We're not going to do anything until Scott's Scott's back. Okay. This. Um, so that could be, and then Snow Patrol Records coming out next year. Um, Peter has something going on with his other band, Fickle Friends. On the bucket list, who's there at the top? Kanye West, I, I think, is just uh, amazing. Um, I, 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 there, was a, there was a period of time where I was working with a lot of artists that I was a fan of when I was a kid, like the Cars. Yeah. Um, oh, you got to work yeah. with Rick Ocasek recently, didn't you? Yeah, he, yeah, and he was he was amazing. The thing is, as people get older, youth is youth is awesome. I yeah, mean, it's an amazing thing to hear a young band like The Strokes on the first album. You go, okay, that's what it sounds like. That's yeah. what it feels like to be young. But then you get, you know, Leonard Cohen, Patti Smith, and, and mm. these reflective records. Uh, we, we kind of live in a culture where older voice is dismissed. But I'm beginning to find lyrics like Nick Cave's new record is yeah. probably his best record because you can hear the experience and you can hear life in it, and that's what rather than some kind of uh, second-hand uh, yeah. life learned from a book. Uh, do you, you know, know I, th uh, I think as well, because great rock and roll bands are living and lasting longer, that they're able to mature, you know, back in the 70s and 80s, they were gone after a couple of albums, either through drug abuse or death or splitting up. Yeah. There's a lot of them maintaining and sustaining it now because it's, it's almost like they need to live off each other. But what it is doing is they are ageing really, really well. Some are, but then, you, you know... Like you think of some of the bands that came up with you too, they don't really exist, or they don't. You know, I, I, as much as I love back in the Bunnymen, I went to see them a few weeks ago or yeah. a few months ago, and um, they played all the hits, and that's what I wanted them to to do. But I, no one was interested in hearing a new song, right? And they weren't even interested in playing it. They just knew that this was a pointless task. Whereas with you too, there is a need mm. to 
articulate or communicate something. So it goes beyond wanting to be the biggest band in the world, even though that has always been there with you two. Yeah. I was, I read, when I was reading it. I saw an interview with Bono, and somebody asked him who he wanted, who was their audience. Mm. And he said, uh, somebody that buys one record a year. And I remember thinking that's odd, because I, you know, I buy a record every day or yeah. a couple of it every day. That, that's a bit weird, especially in a post-punk time to say that. Yeah. It's so uncool. But the, those other people aren't don't really exist. The people that they came up with, you know, aren't either saying the same thing, they get stuck writing about the same thing, yeah. depending that they're the same age. They don't do that. I was just reading there, actually, they were just in the last Q magazine. They've just played in Dublin, Depeche Mode. They've got the new album out, Spirit. And they've, they've really been trying that as well to continually re-energise. I know it's still similar sound, but they are coming out with new stuff all the time. They're, it's this, and I was reading about uh, um, Bono. They don't want to be a heritage act. They still want to try and create something new. I, I think as well, Bono is a lyricist in so many ways. Like he's a, he's a poet as well. So there's always words just spilling out all the time. I could it, not believe the amount of verses written for every song. I was amazed with the hip hop artists when they just spitting out verses, just boom, 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 yeah. keep going as many syllables per sentence as possible. And if you wrote them out, it'd be just pages and pages. But in rock and roll. People write a verse and go, you know, I've got to do another verse. Yeah. I don't even know how to re-enter this thing. But Bono would have just pages and pages and pages yeah. and pages and pages of, of verses for every song. And they would just keep coming. He has this, he's driven yeah. Yeah. To, uh, to, to communicate something that goes beyond, and there's a, beyond this record, like there was a, he had to get stuff out of his system. You know, he was writing as if people wouldn't, he wouldn't be around. Yeah. Uh, to hear the record finished, so he wrote like he was. That's what was going to happen, which is which was an amazing thing. So um, I haven't worked with him for a while. So I don't know if he did that in the last record or the one before. Mm. It, it is actually when you're saying it's like almost a man saying, "Okay, this may be the last time I get a chance to do this, so I'm going to get everything out." You just don't find other artists doing that, really. Not you know, not anymore. Where they're really exposing themselves. Yeah. And that's the, you know, you talk about fearlessness because he's so aware of how he bugs people. So knowing that mm. I don't want to bug people and I don't want to be hated and then still carry on. It's like, I just have to get this out. Um, listen, it's so good talking to you. Thank you so much. Pleasure. Um, good luck. Loads of stuff there. Thank, thanks so much. And listen, best of luck in the future. And uh, Thank love, you. To, love to catch up again at some stage. All right. Great. So that was Jack Knifley, the most sought-after record producer in the entire world. I was speaking to him last week. Really interesting conversation. Also during the making of that particular radio show, when we listened to Songs of Experience track by track, I had an interview with Steve Avril. That's the man who's behind all the designs of literally every single U2 album cover, except for the last one. Songs of Experience, because he has actually just retired. He came into studio. Again, we clipped it down. It only went out for about five minutes, but the actual interview is about 20 minutes long. And next week, we'll put that up as a podcast. So keep an eye or an ear out to Radio Nova and Nova.ie. Thanks for listening. Radio Nova.